primarily Christian principles. Much of the foundation of our law is derived from principles found in the book of Leviticus and the Old Testament law and just how you re relate to one another, what's fair, what's equitable um, uh, among each other about what you should do, what you shouldn't do, rights of property, rights of, of uh, uh, thought. A lot of those were just based upon Christian principles. And as long as societies, even if they don't claim that we're a Christian society, if they base their, their ideas and thoughts upon Christian principles, you know, the golden rule, do as unto others as you'd have them do unto you, things like that. Well, that's been the driving force of a good civil society for thousands of years. Uh, and it's really, you know, every generation, of course, tries to rebel against that and says, well, we don't want any, we don't want any Christian principles. So they go look at the Christian principles and say, well, we're going to do the opposite of that. And it always drives towards uh, devilish ideas and, uh, and chaos and anarchy, and, you know, which is what we're dealing with a lot today, right, with all of the, we don't want to arrest anybody for doing anything wrong. Well, that's been a, a basic Christian and Judeo-Christian principle that if you do wrong, there, there is uh, ramifications and punishment for things you do wrong in the natural realm. Now, that's been around for thousands of years and has worked pretty well. And all of a sudden we thought, you know, that's not a good idea. Well, who decided that's not a good idea? The people who, uh, you know, uh, if you look at these things from a spiritual standpoint, because that's how you have to look at them, the spirits driving these things are driving towards uh, no constraint whatsoever. Uh, and if they can destroy the, the fabric of society, then the people in charge can take over. And, you know, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's just, it's the same. It's the spirits driving it, which is always, you, it go, if you go up the food chain, it ultimately ends up at, to Lucifer, to Satan, and his desire is to run humanity, right? He's called the God of this world in, in the book of Galatians. He's not the God of this world from a legal standpoint. He's the God of this world because men have chosen to allow him to be God in their lives. Uh, and so the drive of society without the constraints of Christianity uh, is to be complete chaos and anarchy and, and only one or two people in charge of, every, of, of all of us simpletons as they think we are. Uh, and of course, it won't stand, it won't last, you know, uh, because the devil will eat himself, right? I mean, he, he can't keep his own ranks in, in order, unlike the church who has the ability to be in unity, although we're not always in as much unity as we want to be. But anyway, so... Um, I don't know how we got off and all that, but um, uh, if all of that falls to pieces, we're still good. Amen. Uh, and so it doesn't matter what they do. Uh, we will continue to pray uh, for uh, those in leadership. The Bible talks about praying for those uh, kings and, and uh, governors and those in, in, um, in natural rule on the earth so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. And so we have the Bible to pray for our leaders. And uh, we do and, and should pray for our leaders. That would include our local leaders all the way up to uh, the federal leaders, the, the president and um, the cabinet and, um, the, you know, the Congress and, and the Supreme Court, all of those folks, because they have an impact even on your life. You know, uh, they'll, uh, if you look at our, even our current economic s uh, situation right now with insane inflation, well, that's because three people in Washington said, let's do something really dumb. And so they're doing really dumb things up there and it affects the lives of hundreds of millions of people. And uh, they all act like what, you know, uh, it wasn't my fault. But, you know, regardless of what they're doing up there, the church can be okay if we'll pray and believe and walk in faith. Uh, but everybody doesn't have that ability to walk in faith. Even much of the church doesn't know how to walk in faith uh, and, and not participate in the, um, uh, in the failing of economies around the world. And so... 
we have the right to do that, and we should do that. We should exercise faith um, on, um, uh, in our lives to avoid these uh, dire consequences of other people's decisions. Uh, and so that's a blessing that we have the right to do that. But we also pray for those people uh, so that we can lead a quiet and peaceful life. So if we do that, as we do that, the Lord can move on our behalf and get some of those people out of positions of authority. And there's a whole long list of people he should probably get out of the positions of authority because they're just, they mess things up, amen? <laughs> so we'll, we'll let him decide who and when and how to do it, but um, our job is to pray and give him the right and privilege to do that on our behalf. And so uh, why don't we pray and we'll get into the word tonight. So Father, we thank you for the word of God. And Father, we thank you for the blessings of heaven. We thank you, Father, for your word that instructs us, that uh, gives us revelation insight. We thank you for these things, Father. We give you the praise and the honor for them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's open our Bibles up to Philippians uh, chapter 3. We'll continue there today. We, we were talking about how Paul wa was uh, uh, weeping, he said in uh, Philippians 3, verse 18, For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And so there's a group of people apparently fairly close to him uh, that uh, were walking with him, but now are enemies of the cross of Christ. And he tells, he tells us that weeping his heart is broken for them because he knows as a minister, uh, because he, of course, uh, he obviously knows the Old Testament, but he also wrote much of the New Testament. He knows the path that they're on is going to lead to destruction. In fact, that's what he says in verse 19. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Uh, and so uh, we talked last week about uh, the first part of verse 19, whose end is destruction, and how there is a sin of the death that, that the Bible talks about. That phrase is found in First uh, John 5, 16. Uh, there is a sin of the, sin of the death, and that's the sin of the spiritual death uh, because uh, John says Don't, you can't pray for that. Once somebody has made that decision, you no longer can pray for that person. They, they, have, uh, they have made a decision that will affect their eternal, their eternal destiny, and it cannot be changed. It's interesting because a, um, uh, when, when a person does that, as a, they have to be a Christian, right? We talked about the qualifications. Of, they have to be a mature Christian, a spirit-filled mature Christian, right, who knows the Word of God, who's been used of God in supernatural ways. Uh, and uh, if uh, whatever age that they commit that sin, uh, they may still live on this earth naturally for some period of time, maybe even a long time. Uh, and so, but... When they breathe the last breath on the, on the earth, they will end up uh, in the region of the damned and hell. Uh, but if a, a non-Christian is on the earth uh, and uh, rejects the Spirit of God, you know the Spirit of God will come, come back to them over and over again. Uh, it, now, no doubt there are unsaved people that the Lord uh, has tried and tried. And uh, like in the Old Covenant, he said, leave Ephraim alone. Well, Ephraim wasn't born again. So... Uh, there, in a sense, a, a non-Christian can commit the sin of the death, but it's really the, un, the unpardonable sin in that regards. But they could still commit that. Uh, and, but for them, it's more of exceeding the long-suffering of the Lord, whereas a Christian, it's when they make a decision to reject the Lord Jesus. Uh, and so just like you got saved by accepting the Lord Jesus, the only way that you can lose your salvation is to be at a certain point in your spiritual walk uh, and then reject the Lord Jesus. And so it's not about any particular sin, like 
adultery or fornication or homosexuality or, or whatever, you know, uh, eating too many donuts, uh, whatever the church loves to say. And I've heard lots of people say, in fact, I, I've been reading after some d- different things, and, you know, the, the, uh, the Pentecostal church, and, and they may still believe this, I don't really know, but the Pentecostal church was of the opinion that if you were married uh, in a Pentecostal church and then got divorced in a Pentecostal church and then remarried uh, in a Pentecostal church, well, then you're in adultery and you will die and go to hell which is really odd. Anybody ever heard that particular uh, that doctrine? Which is really odd because, I mean, if it was adultery, and it's not always the case if you remarry that it's adultery, but if it was adultery, can't you repent from that? I mean, is, is adultery the sin of the death? Well, it's surely not, right? The only sin of the death is rejecting the Lord Jesus, specifically declaring, I reject the Lord Jesus and want nothing to do with him. And so any other sin that a Christian commits is forgivable. I mean, otherwise, what's the purpose of 1 John 1, 9? Um, uh, and so, you know, there's only one sin that a Christian can commit that would be uh, considered the sin of the death, and that's rejecting the Lord Jesus specifically uh, when you understand what that actually means, right? A lot of baby Christians may say things and do things that would uh, uh, say they reject the Lord Jesus, but, you know, because they're not mature enough to understand that decision, it's not going to be held to their account in the same sense. Uh, they'll still have to repent for those foolish words, no doubt, but it's not the sin of the death. Uh, and so uh, much of the church has picked a, a small list of sins, right? Uh, some people in the church believe that, that if you commit the sin of homosexuality, you will die and go to hell. And I don't understand that because um, why that particular sin? You know, uh, I mean, there's other sins, right? Uh, I mean, uh, fornication, adultery, the, those are, are, are those grave sins. You know, uh, uh, if it's adultery, adultery is sinning against your marriage vows, right? You're married, you made a vow to somebody, you go sleep with somebody else. Well, you're breaking a vow that you, that you declared with your own mouth. Uh, and, and, but, but the sin of homosexuality, there's no vow that was made before that. So it seems to me that making a vow and breaking that vow is a pretty grave sin, right? Uh, and so I don't know why the church picks certain particular sins, that this one will send you to hell, but that one won't send you to hell. I mean, when, when, we, when we read the Word of God, we read those, those scriptures, right? Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, they, that lays out the, dis, the description of these things. Uh, and even we, we use the example that Paul gave us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, about um, the man who's sleeping with his, his stepmother, he didn't say that, in fact, he said that this man's going to die early physically so that he'll be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Uh, and so the man was a Christian, and if he died right then, he would still go to heaven having slept with his, with his stepmother. Well, that's a pretty, I mean, that's a really weird sin, right? Anybody want to, you know, nobody wants to sign for that. No, we don't even want to talk about it. It's just kind of, you know, gross to think about it. But, but Paul said that was going to send him to hell. But the church would definitely, oh, yeah, you're, yeah that'll send you straight to hell. Uh, but Paul said he wasn't going to go to hell. In fact, Paul specifically said this man will go to heaven. He will be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Uh, and so uh, I'm not sure why the, the, the desire to say these things. I think there's a lot of reasons for it. Some of it is just we don't study to show ourselves in the proof. We don't really study things out to see, well, what, what, does, it, what does it take to lose your salvation? And much of the church says it's very little. And I'm of the opinion it takes a lot to lose your salvation. 
uh, from the Word of God, right? We've read these things. We've gone over these examples. Uh, and I don't see anywhere where it says, you know, you, and we're going to talk about a, a, uh, eventually at some point some of the, some of the reasonings why, because uh, people use other verses to say that there's salvation. Uh, but, but there's uh, two things I wanted to just uh, kind of reiterate here. Uh, one is in um, uh, Hebrews, back to Hebrews chapter 10, um, and then I'm going to go back to First uh, Corinthians 5, but uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, just to um, reiterate uh, the issue with the sin of the death, uh, it says, um, actually in Hebrews, yeah, Hebrews chapter 10 is where I want to be. He said, um, uh, no, it's Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 6 is where I want to be. We'll get there eventually, right? Yeah, Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 6, uh, having listed the, the qualifications for someone to commit the sin of the death, he says, if they fall away, if they shall fall away, to renew them again to repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh. And so Paul is saying, you know, when you accepted the Lord Jesus, you accepted the work of the sacrifice that he made on the cross. That's part of the salvation experience, right? Part of it is uh, that you believe God raised Jesus from the dead. Well, to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, you have to believe that he died on the cross, right, and was raised from the dead, so you believe in the work of the cross specifically. Uh, and so he's saying that uh, if they fall away, having committed the sin of the death, in order for them to, to get back into heaven, they would have to re-crucify Jesus a second time. Well, Jesus, is Jesus going to go back to the cross a second time? No. So, so the issue is not, he didn't say in verse 6, if they fall away because they've committed some particular sin, uh, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, whatever. He specifically says, uh, that they fall away from the Lord, uh, from, from the Lord himself, right? And so uh, the issue is not to repent of that one sin. The issue is they would need to go back and have Jesus recrucify himself. So uh, that's the issue, right? Uh, Jesus is not going to go back to the cross. It's a, once, a one time only. He's not going to go back to the cross ever again. He paid for all the sins of the world. Uh, and if a human being chooses not to accept that, well, of course, that's, that's on them, not on him. Uh, well, back back to um, uh, to First Corinthians chapter five, then, and then we'll, we'll go on to the next uh, part of uh, Philippians chapter three there. But uh, back in First uh, Corinthians chapter five, so that's the example that we use there. Again, um, is uh, I, I think part of the issue, part of the concern in teaching this is that uh, oftentimes ministers will say, "Well, you're giving people a license to sin." And again, uh, I don't think your average Christian is looking for a license to sin. Anybody just trying to find a way to, to, uh, to uh, go against the will and plan of God? I don't think so. Uh, I think if you sin, the Spirit of God will convict you of that sin and, and drive you to repentance. And most Christians of a, of a pure heart will receive that correction and, and repent. Uh, when Paul has said, said to this man here, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5, it says, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Uh, so what is he destroying? What, what part, spiritual or body, is he destroying? The flesh, right? That's the natural, that's the natural man, right? And so uh, is, is, the flesh, is the flesh part of man the part that is born again? No, it's the spirit that's born again, right? So the flesh is not born again. Uh, but when this flesh uh, ceases to function on this earth, in other words, when this body uh, ceases to function on this earth, 
then we, uh, we are separated from this body, spirit, so, and we go into heaven. Uh, and so Paul is specifically saying for the destruction of the flesh, not the destruction of the spirit. Uh, and so he's specifically talking about dying early, ending his life physically on this earth. Why? Because if, if uh, once he gets into heaven, see, all is well, right? Well, we, 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 we will struggle on this earth sometimes in trying to resist sin, and, uh, and, and uh, we, we may have days, weeks, months, and even years of success, but then sometimes we may fa- fall back uh, and commit a sin and, and not have to start back over from scratch, but uh, repent and, and continue on in our life with the Lord. And, and that cycle may repeat itself oftentimes in, in a Christian's life, especially if they stay fairly immature. But when they die and, and arrive in heaven, all of those struggles are gone. So that's what Paul was trying to help this man, is to remove the struggles from his life uh, by going into heaven early so that he doesn't progress in this sin to the point where he does choose to reject the Lord Jesus. And so it's really the, uh, a, a merciful act of Paul. And then we had read uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, where Paul brought the same uh, situation back up to the Corinthians as he wrote to them again. Uh, and uh, the, the, the key that I wanted to mention, a couple of things, one is... In verse 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears. And so that right there tells, tells us the attitude that Paul had, just like when he, in Philippians chapter 3, that he said, I tell you now, even weeping, he said here that I wrote, when I, when I uh, handed this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, he said, I did that with much affliction, much anguish of heart, and with many tears. So it wasn't something he did out of anger, out of bitterness, out, out of, you know, well, I'm in charge. Uh, there, there was no uh, pretense, you know, or, or attitude that Paul had other than uh, my heart is breaking for this man, and, and if I don't do something, he's not going to make eternity in heaven. And so uh, even though uh, his life on this earth would be cut short, and if he hands him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, you think that's going to be comfortable from, uh, between now and the end of that uh, situation? No, it's not going to be comfortable. So he knows, he knows the man will suffer maybe significantly uh, up until that point that he breathes his last breath on the earth. On the earth and it caused Paul anguish. And yet I, I've seen people use that phrase, I've handed him over to Satan for the destruction of flesh. And they say it with bitterness and much pride uh, and with, a, with an attitude of, you know, I'm in charge, I'm going to hand you over to Satan for destruction, you, I'm going to hand you over to Satan, I'm going to hand you over, and, and they use that as a threat almost, you know, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to hand you over to Satan. Uh, and it's so, it's so childish and immature when people do that, you know, they act all high and mighty, but it, it's really disappointing because, uh, yeah, Paul did that, but he did it out of great love and compassion and mercy for this man, with the desire to, to see that this man made it into heaven. And, and it was not to punish the man. You know, it wasn't, well, I'm going to punish him and show him. It was to uh, secure his destiny in heaven. Uh, and so when you hear people do things like that, and it's not out of compassion and mercy, uh, but out of pride and arrogance, it's not the Lord. Uh, and, and they can't just do that. And in fact, Paul can't just pick out people uh, he started the Corinthian church. He had authority over the Corinthian church. Uh, he had uh, authority to do that. He, he can't just pick and choose people out in the world to do these things too, um, even though sometimes, you know, in the church we act like we have authority in every situation. So Paul didn't do this 
except by the authority that he had over the church in Corinth. Uh, but the, the thing that, that I appreciate as much as anything is uh, after he, he was in much anguish, Lord, what do I do for this man? How do I help this man? How do I help this church? Because the church itself has to recover from this sin because he talked a lot about, about how they're just uh, taking glory in, in, uh, in this sin of this man. And why is that? Well, it's sometimes it's look at us, how unique we are as a church. Yeah, that's pretty unique. I mean, that's a sin that he said even the Gentiles aren't doing. So, uh, uh, and so that was a, a fairly unique sin, right? And again, we've talked a lot about, about how people oftentimes will, will uh, have a desire. I've got to differentiate myself from everybody else. I've got to do something that's different than everybody else is doing. And sometimes it drives them to sin, right? Because the, their desire is to be seen. Their desire is to be unique. Their desire is to not look like anybody else. And so... Uh, instead of uh, instead of just doing just what their just normal heart's desire is, or even uh, we talked about following other people, right? If you follow other people, you're not unique, right? You're following other people. You look like them, sound like them. Uh, and if you know anything about the the charismatic uh, general charismatic Pentecostal doctrine, I sound like most people you know, which I'm perfectly fine with. Amen. Um, and so I may have some some specifics, but my goal isn't to read the, the doctrine of my fathers and say, okay, I'm going to be opposite world. You know, whatever they said, I'm going to be opposite world from that. Now, I've had people try to convince me that, you know, 100 years of, of Pentecostal doctrine is just all completely wrong. And they'll tell me, it's like, well, you're just, you've got the weakest argument. You know, in fact, it's not even a valid argument. But the, they drive towards that. They have a desire for that because they don't want to be like everybody else. They want to be radical and be... Uh, really uh, fanatical in, in their doctrine so they can be seen of men. The, the goal is to be seen of men, right? Remember, we've been talking on Sunday mornings about the, um, uh, the Sermon on the Mount and how Jesus said, don't be seen of men. You have your reward. But there's such a, there's such a uh, the, the original sin that Satan committed was pride. He wanted, he wanted to exalt his throne above the throne of the Most High God. He wanted to be seen. And that pride, uh, is, he's driving every human being to accept glory. If he can, right? If he can get every human being to accept glory, then uh, we will all fall away from the glory of God. Amen? And so, uh, so that drive is there, and we have to reject it. We have to uh, not, allow that, uh, not allow ourselves to fall in that mindset of, I want to be seen, I want to be different, I want to be unique, uh, just for unique sake. Amen? Uh, and so, so Paul did... Paul did this with much anguish and tears, and uh, before, uh, before you would ever uh, do anything like this, you know, there would have to be much anguish of prayer, right? There would have to be just, your heart would have to break, Lord, there's no other way. Uh, and, and the Lord would be working with you in that because we work together with the Lord. Lord, what, what do you want me to do on this situation? And no doubt, uh, through prayer and intercession with this man, about this man, the Lord said, well, on this path, he will end up committing the sin of the death. And so the only, the only sure way to avoid that is to, um, to have him leave this earth early. And so uh, he did that, right? Paul handed him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Uh, but apparently the man repented, right? Back in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, Paul said, Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. Uh, and so, so that contrarywise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, uh, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. So apparently this man repented. 
Uh, and now Paul's instructing the church, you need to forgive him. Uh, and, uh, and so, because a lot of times, uh, you know, everybody in the church doesn't walk in the same grace as Paul would walk in. You know, Paul has the grace that, you know, I can hand somebody over to Satan for the destruction of flesh, but if they repent, I can, I can accept them back uh, in fellowship with me. You know, much of the church, if somebody commits a sin, you, it's just over. I mean, you might as well, you know, just move to Pluto or something because the church will never accept you back. Even if you repent, you know, yeah, well, that's, you know, sorry, we're not going to take you back. Uh, and it's really a shame that the church doesn't have the ability to do that, amen, that the church doesn't have the ability to, uh, you know, deal with sin. And if somebody will accept whatever situation is going on uh, and repent, that they bring them back into fellowship. That doesn't mean you put them back in leadership position. You know, doesn't, you know there may be some other ramifications that are necessary, things you have to watch out, you know, um, you know if they've done something with, you know, finances, for example, embezzled money, well, maybe make sure that, well, okay, we forgive you, but you still can't count the money anymore in the back room by yourself, right? Uh, and, um, you know, uh, well, why not? Well, because, uh, you know, all sin, you know, people don't always appreciate this, but, you know, when you get involved in a sin, especially if it's something like this, that it's not just a one-off thing, but something that's a lifestyle like this man had, uh, the spirits that drive that sin oftentimes will remain in your life or around the perimeter of your life, uh, maybe for the rest of your life. And you'll have to resist the temptation of that, whereas someone like, you know, if you put $100 in front, $100 in front of me, I got no temptation to steal it, right? I mean, it, just, it wouldn't bother me. I mean, I could walk by $1,000. I could walk by a million dollars. It wouldn't, wouldn't even tempt me a bit. Just, you know, for me, that's just not an issue, right? Money is not an issue. Uh, I, you know, I've dealt with that in my heart to make sure that it's, you know, uh, I mean, if I go, oftentimes I'll take the, the uh, deposit for the church to the bank and, and they say, you're a, you know, you're a dollar, you're a dollar uh, wrong. Uh, you're a dollar too much, you know, for example. Well, I could just, well, just give me the dollar back and I'll just, you know, uh, well, I'm not going to take that dollar because then it looks like I'm taking the dollar, right? And so I'll say, well, just give me the whole thing back and I'll take it back and, and um, Chris will work her magic and figure out where that dollar came from. Uh, and so, uh, but I don't, you know, I'm not even going to have the appearance of, well, yeah, just give me the dollar and I stick it in my pocket and I go, I bet he, I bet he pocketed that dollar, you know. Uh, it's, it's not even a temptation, amen? It's just, there's no, there's no temptation for that. Uh, now, uh, that doesn't mean that people wouldn't try and, and um, uh, try to do things. You know, I've had one fellow uh, in, in a service one day said, if you'll answer a question, I'll, I'll put some extra money in the offering. <laughs> I said, well, we don't do that. You know, we, we don't operate that way. I mean, you're not going to bribe me at all. You don't own me. You, uh, you know, my income doesn't come from this church. You know, uh, and even if it did, I mean, some income comes from this church. But uh, if 100% of my income from that came from this church, this church is not my supply. The Lord is my supply. Amen. If I look to men as my supply, then I've already lost a battle. Uh, and so, but, uh, but there are sins that if people commit them, you know, so if it's like embezzlement, for example, that person may have a hard time the rest of their life around large sums of cash. Now, maybe they're not. You know, they could get over it and they, they have the potential to get over it, but oftentimes that temptation will be there more so than for somebody else. Same thing with sexual sins and adultery, you know. Um, if uh, someone cheats, you know, is, it breaks their marriage vows, it's going to be really hard for that person, even if they get married again, to not commit that again. You know, when we were talking about marriage and divorce a little bit, uh, with uh, when Jesus was talking about it, we said 
that the, uh, I don't remember the exact numbers, but the numbers, if you got divorced one time, the chance of you getting divorced again actually increased. And if you got married a third time, the chances of, of getting divorced in your third marriage was even greater than that. It's like 80, it's like started from 50% and went up to like 80%. You kept getting worse. Why? Because that sin, that drive to break your marriage vows is, uh, is there. The, the spirits that drive that sin is there. And you have to resist that. You have to acknowledge, okay, that's an area of my life that I really have to be careful about and work extra hard. And it can be done. It's not that it's impossible. There's nothing impossible with the Lord. But you just have to have wisdom and understand that this is how it works, right? That, that certain sins, you know, it, it, there are a lot of people that were in uh, homosexual relationships that got out of it and got back uh, play, playing on the right team. And, um, but even from now to the end of their days, they may still have that, that temptation or desire may rise up on occasion because of familiar spirits. And so they just have to be aware of, of those things. Amen. And so, so uh, that's just part of how sin works. And so uh, it doesn't, doesn't mean we can't overcome these things. We can overcome any sin. No problem at all. Amen. Uh, but uh, you can restore somebody and then you have to use the wisdom of God. Okay, how, how far do we restore them? You can always restore fellowship and, and restore uh, them back into fellowship in the church. Uh, but do they get their position back as being the, the one person who counts all the money or the one person who, you know, does whatever? Well, maybe you can, maybe you can't, right? It, you have to, it's not an automatic, right? So just you have to use wisdom in those things and, and know what to do. But for sure, you ought to be able to accept them back into fellowship. Now, some people, if, if, you, if they don't get their position back, they will get mad and leave. Well, that's not on me. That would be on them, right? If, if, uh, if they got mad because they can't do their thing anymore, you know, well, you know, that shows a lack of maturity on their part because they've got to appreciate that we didn't, I didn't start this, right? If, if they started it and embezzled money and now they're no, no, no longer allowed to be involved with the finances of the church, well, that's not on me or the pastor. That's on them, amen? And so, you know, a lot of times people uh, want, want you to... Uh, to not only forgive them of their sins, but to restore their positions they were in. But there's no scripture that says that you get to be restored in the position you were in. There is plenty of scripture that says we should forgive. That's what Paul said. Uh, we should forgive him and comfort him. Amen. Uh, and so, so there's a balance in these things. And, you know, this is things that we learn from the scriptures that we should allow ourselves to follow these examples and to restore people that have sinned. Uh, I mean, if the churches are going to restore people, who else is going to restore people? Um, if we can't restore people that have sinned, where else can they get restoration? They're going to go to the world to get restoration. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's. Uh, I always think it's odd, and of course, you know, I have seen a lot of people who have great talents and ability who who are unable to express that talent and ability because of the choices they've made, uh, and sometimes they get frustrated and they'll leave a church or you know go do something else. Uh, and so there's a balance to everything, amen? And so you've got you've to find out that balance. There's no law. Once they commit the sin and you forgive them, from that point forward, it's really by the Spirit of God. What does he want to do? What does he allow you to do? Uh, and, you know, you can seek and strive for mercy as best you can. Uh, so there's no, there's no written law that says you can't do that or you must do that or you can never do that. Uh, you just have to uh, figure out those things, you know, as, um, uh, as time progresses, Amen. And so uh, back, uh, so I just wanted to make sure that um, we understand when Paul did that, uh, it was a serious matter, but he did it with much anguish of heart, amen, and weeping, like he said here in, back in, in Philippians chapter 3. Uh, and uh, if your heart is not broken when you're doing these things, if you're just angry, then, then you, you've, got the wrong, you've got the wrong attitude. Remember when 
when the Samaritans uh, got upset with Jesus because he wouldn't stay with them as he was on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, and, and so they got upset with Jesus. And, and John, the Apostle John said, Lord, uh, should we call down fire from heaven? Because that's the first thing most church goes to, right? Let's break a kneecap, you want to? Let's, let's do something. Let's bury him in the backyard. We've got you know, to really, really come down hard on him. And what did Jesus tell the apostle? He said, you know, you know not what spirit you are of. If your spirit is to shoot him and stab the rest as your first go-to, then you got the wrong heart, right? Uh, your first go-to should be, Lord, can we, can we uh, apply mercy in this situation? That's always my first go-to. My, it's always my first question. Anything ever arises in the church? And, and, you know, we're not a big church. We don't have a lot of things that happen like that. But on a, on a rare occasion, things will happen. And I always go, Lord, can, can mercy be extended in this situation? Uh, that's always my first question to the Lord. Uh, and that's a good place to start. Amen. Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no. Right. But uh, that's still my first go to is, Lord, can mercy be extended? Uh, and if that's not your first go to, then you might want to see what spirit you are of. Amen. And so Paul is continuing here uh, back in verse uh, Philippians three nineteen. He said, whose end is destruction. So these people will be losing their appointment in heaven because of their choices. And he says, he says, uh, Many, for many walk of whom I told you before and now tell you, tell you weeping that they are now enemies of the cross. So it wasn't one person. It was a group of people. And, and of course, it doesn't give us some insight, but my guess is there's always a ringleader in these types of things. You know, there's always rebellion. There's always somebody who's stirring up uh, the, the crowd and, uh, and whispering in the background. And I saw that when I was with my pastor, you know, I've seen it here at this church. You know, there's always... Uh, uh, if, there's, if this is going on at all, there's, there's almost always a ringleader in this situation, right? Uh, in fact, I had somebody uh, come and, and uh, uh, they came to my office. And, and, you know, this really shows a total lack of disrespect to the Lord, or total lack of respect to the Lord. We were 10 minutes from the service starting, right? 15 minutes or so from the service starting. And they came into my office uh, and they started chewing me out. Well, that's just disrespectful. You know, I've got a service to start here in 15 minutes. You know, that could wait. Right, that could wait till after the service. If you had any regard for the Lord Jesus and the people at all, you would wait until the service. But see, the goal is to is to try to get me upset and mess up the service. Well, that's on them for eternity, right? They're going to stand before the Lord Jesus and going to say, "Hey, that service on that date, I had a specific desire to accomplish something in that service. You came and tried to mess that up. What would you like to say about that?" Now, and I, you know, because we will all be judged for the things we do. And something like that, the Lord takes that as a grave sin, a grave infraction. I've seen it so many times, right? Uh, people, when, when I was with my pastor, people would go up and hand him a note right before service. You're a dog, you're a double dog, you're a double dirty dog. Uh, and so, Why would you give that to him right before service? That's just so, it's so amazingly disrespectful. and shows so little regard for the Lord Jesus, the head of the church, not the pastor. I mean, it does show disregard for the pastor, but it shows how you think you're so important how you think that your grievances are so valuable that you're trying to mess up uh, the service, amen? Uh, and, and I'll get back to the guy visiting me, but I remember one time that uh, after my pastor died, one of the people in the church kind of got upset about some things going on, went down the street, started another church. And was it, were they wrong starting another church? None of my business. Once they're out the door, none of my business, right? Uh, it's, I'm not their God, I'm not their judge, none of my business. Uh, well, that's just wrong, based on what? I mean, are you God? Are you the head of the church? You know, uh, you know I, just, I, I just leave those alone. Amen? It's none of my business. And so 
but, but the leadership in the church came to me, our church, my, with my pastor, you know, that he was gone now, but uh, they, they came to me and said, you need to go down to the church that they've started down there to one of his services and just sit there uh, in the service and see what's going on. I said, I ain't doing that. Because if I go down there and give him the evil eye, which is what they want me to do, right? Just sit, sit back there and just, yeah, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. Well, what if he's in complete rebellion? You know, the, the, the thing that we have the hardest time about the Lord is he will use us in whatever, even if it's the tiniest of capacity, he will use us wherever he possibly can. Even if we're in rebellion, if he can possibly help one person, even in our rebellion, he will do that. That's the kind of God he is. And, and, and even if that church was 100% wrong and starting it the way they did, and somebody just happened to stop by that church, and now they've got an opportunity to receive the Lord Jesus, but the pastor's so flustered because I'm giving him the evil eyeball, he, he doesn't remember to, to uh, give an altar call, and that person misses eternity, that's on me. And, you know, of course, in a, in, in a flash, in a moment of, you know, as they're telling me this, this is all going through my mind, right? Oh, I, can't, I can't hinder somebody's uh, uh, potential to go to heaven. And I said, I'm not doing that. Uh, you know, oh, no, no, we, we didn't mean for you to, we weren't, we weren't talking about doing anything like that. Yes, you were. Uh, you know, I wasn't born yesterday. Yes, you were. You were you, your goal and desire was to cause grief for that pastor. Let him know, we know, that you've started this church. And you're in rebellion. Well, he's only in rebellion if he answers to me. He doesn't answer to me. And he didn't answer to anybody else in that church either. To be in rebellion to any of us. So they asked another, another person in the church, another person in leadership in the church, and they went down to the service, you know. I ain't doing that. When I get to heaven, the Lord said, did you go down there? No, Lord, I didn't go down there. Oh, yeah, you're right, yeah. I knew that. I just check and see if you knew that, right? Uh, and so, but I'm not going to say, no, I didn't, but he did, Lord. I'm not going to point my finger either, and, and uh, the Lord knows, and he'll deal with it however he sees fit. None of my business, right? It wasn't my business to begin with. And so, uh, but this fella came in, uh, and, um, and right before the service started, he, uh, he started with, you know, your vision is wrong, which is interesting because he couldn't even articulate my vision to begin with, so how does he know if it's wrong? Uh, my vision, not very, if that's our vision right there, we call it our mission or our vision. Uh, well, is that wrong to, to reach the lost and those that have lost their way? Is there wrong? Well, how you're doing that is wrong. Really? Is there a handbook on how I'm supposed to do that? I don't know of a handbook. Is there... Even in the book of Acts, to give uh, fine, uh, 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 or minute details about how to run the church? No, it just said they had church. It doesn't say what door they came in, what time they started, what day of the week they were in. How, you know, did they have meals before, during, or after? We know they had some meals, but was it before service? Was it after service? Was it just hot dogs? Was it finger food? Was it? We don't know. There's, there's very little details about the specifics of running any church because the Lord leaves that to the pastor, right? you know, to whoever, uh, whatever uh, uh, heart he's put in a pastor, that, then that should be the heart of that church. Uh, and not really that complicated, but, but your vision is wrong. And then he went through about all these things about how I'm doing this wrong and you know, how you know, he said, uh, uh, I mentioned Kenneth Hagin's name too much. He said, in fact, he said, I love Kenneth Hagin more than Jesus, which I love that one, right? Uh, and, so, uh, and so what I, as he kept saying things, I said, you know, you sound just like so-and-so. And I called their name because I knew just, you know, I mean, um, you can say maybe by the Spirit of God, but you, sometimes you just know things because you're not a complete idiot, right? Uh, but because those things were being said by somebody else before that. And they were the kind of person who's a ringleader. And this person, you know, I knew they had a relationship with this person. And I said, you sound just like so-and-so. And he'd get all flustered and he'd go off and 
and he, and he would tell me something else about how I'm doing this other thing terribly wrong. I said, that sounds just like so-and-so. Because he was just repeating the other things his other fellow said. And so even though many, uh, many walked away, I can guarantee you there were some ringleaders, amen, who were causing those people to fall, fall away. And you'll find that in any church, like when I was with my pastor, I saw it oftentimes where people would try to have a coup against the pastor. Uh, in fact, before I, uh, before I got there, before I started uh, going, attending that church, there was a lady, there was a, 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 maybe he was an elder of the church, I don't know, or maybe assistant pastor. But his wife went to my pastor and said, the Spirit of God told me if you don't give your church to my husband, God said you're going to die. Now that's an amazing statement, right? Uh, you really think the Spirit of God would tell her not tell the husband, tell her. She's not in leadership. She's just the wife, right? Uh, and nothing wrong with women at all, uh, except, you know, she uh, was the, the man's wife here. Uh, it's not because she was a woman, but she, she had no authority. She, she wasn't in a position of, of authority at all in the church. And so somehow the Lord didn't talk to the pastor, didn't talk to the associate pastor, but talked to the associate pastor's wife about the situation. That was, would be really odd that the Lord would do that, bypass all the other leadership, and not go to the board of elders. But to, so apparently they're all in rebellion. They're all not listening to the Lord in, in this one. Now, that's possible, right? I mean, sometimes the Lord will use a donkey uh, to help us out. Amen? He can do that. But it's really unusual that, you know, people, especially in a church situation, like people are trying to serve the Lord, right? The pastor's trying to serve the Lord. Associate pastor trying to serve the Lord. But, but this wife, you know, you better do this. That's just really odd. Amen? Uh, and I've had plenty of people tell me over the years, the Spirit of God told me this about you. Really? That's, that's amazing. He would tell you that and not tell me that. Uh, and he tells me lots of other things about me. I mean, it's not that he doesn't ever correct me, but uh, he told you that about me, but not me that about me. And so, uh, so anyway, so this fellow, you know, um, I said, you know, I, what I would encourage you to do would... Uh, because he just bounced from church to church. I said, you need to be able to find a way to be in a church where you didn't approve of every single thing going on and still remain faithful to that church. It'd be good for your spiritual life. It'd be good for your pride to be able to disagree with something and, and not just run like a little child, you know. I didn't tell him that part, but, but that's what it is, right? When people disagree with a church, because from my standpoint, either you're called to be here or you're not. And if you're called to be here, then what if, what's the matter if you disagree with something I do? if you're called to be here, right? Now, if you're just visiting until things are good or things are not good, well, then whatever. But, but if you're called to be here, then, then the only way you can leave is if you're called to be somewhere else and not because you got mad, right? Uh, and so uh, I think I told you uh, about uh, one person that was here for a while and, and then left. And, you know, I don't usually think about people, you know, if they, they if I think about them after a while, if, they, if they've left, I'll, I'll pray for them. Lord, I ask you to, you know, bless them, increase them, be good to them, remind them that you love them. And I hadn't thought about this one person for years. Uh, and, and um, uh, you know, the, they just kind of rose up in my heart one day. I said, Lord, why did they leave? Uh, and um, <laughs> he, said, he said, they left because they ran out of toes. And that's what he said. Now, that's the funniest thing. You know, they ran because they, they left because they ran out of toes, right? I kept stepping on their toes. And I'm not trying to step on people's toes, but, you know, sometimes you just do. Right, so they, uh, you know, they were fine, and when one toe got stepped on, two toes, you know, nine toes, tenth toe that got stepped on, they're out of here, right? Well, see, they didn't leave by the will of God. They left because their toes got stepped on. 
And, you know, if they quit sticking their toes out so far all the time, I wouldn't have to step on them, right? And so, uh, you know, uh, people just, they just want to sit like this all the time, right? Or, you know, sit like this the whole time and, you know, feet out there where, where people can't get, and get stepped on. And then they get mad because you stepped on their toe. Well, don't, you know, there's other people in the world besides you, right? And so uh, people get upset about things. And uh, so uh, Paul said, many of these people, this is, so of course the Philippian church was no doubt probably a large church, I imagine. Uh, and, um, uh, but that's a shame that many people left the Lord. And, and he said, and there's, their end is destruction. He said, uh, whose God is, is their belly? And so uh, we won't get into all of these things there, but um, uh, so he's not talking about their physical belly, right? To, uh, I mean, some people's belly is big enough to be like a god, right? Uh, and, and like a Buddha, you know, like a, it's nice and big and round, right? Uh, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about uh, their appetites, right? Their natural desires. And, uh, and if you think about it, you know, he said their god is their belly. Um, so the thing that controls them is something in this natural realm. Uh, and, uh, you know, all of us have um, uh, the ability to fall into this, right? Nobody's exempt from this particular temptation, right? Uh, whatever desires you have, you know, even godly desires can be misconstrued and twisted so they become ungodly desires, right? I mean, to, uh, it's okay to eat, right? But can you eat where it becomes a sin? Well, sure you can. Uh, amen. And so, so uh, all, all of us sins, and you think about this particular situation where Paul said their God is their, is their belly, so their God is their appetites. You know, what they, des, uh, what they desire, uh, naturally, they've placed that above the Lord. Uh, and that can be in anything. You know, uh, one time I had, I was here during the week, and somebody stopped by and said, the Holy Ghost told me to, to, to uh, stop by this church. Really, that's Okay, that's fine. You know, I can, I can believe that, right? I don't have any problem with that at all. He said, I'm looking for a church where there's liberty. Well, I said, you won't find any church more free than us. I mean, we're as free as we can be, right? I mean, we're not, we don't have a bunch of hang-ups, you know. Uh, uh, you know, there's not a long list of things you've got to do prior to we approving you to be a member of this church. Uh, and so uh, I said, well, you won't find any, any more church free than us. He said, well, will you go and have a glass of wine with me at the restaurant? I said, well, I know I won't do that. He said, well, you think it's wrong to drink? And then, you know, it's just such an exhausting, such an exhausting argument. People uh, just want to fight and fuss them. Uh, and so he said, well, go through what normal people say. I said, well, according to Romans 14, you know, drinking is still a vice in our, in our society, and I'm not going to do anything that causes my brother to stumble. If, if uh, any of you all saw me in a restaurant drinking a, a glass of wine, you'd be offended, right? And rightfully so, right? Uh, and so... Uh, and, and, and so I don't drink wine when I go to a restaurant. I, you don't go to my house. There's no alcohol. There's no beer. I don't drink, right? My wife and I drink. Uh, and I've never been drunk in my life. And, you know, of course, some people think that's, a, you know, that, that makes me unqualified to minister for some reason. Uh, and so, but that's what he said. He said, uh, he said uh, well, uh, I will come here if you'll be willing to go and have a glass of wine with me at the restaurant. And I said, you know, I can't do that. And I explained why. And he left and never came back. Well, well so his, his decision to come here or not wasn't based on anything spiritual. It was based on his belly, right? On his desire. His natural desire to drink wine is what controlled his, uh, his uh, coming here or not coming here. 
Well, he's out of the will of God. It doesn't matter whether you agree or disagree with, with drinking wine. Because you think I agree with everything going on in everybody's life in this, in, in this church or any church? Well, no. I mean, and do you, uh, would you agree with everything I do in my life? No. I mean, it's just, you know, we're going to have differences of opinions of things. But that doesn't mean we should break fellowship, right? I mean, I'm not going to break fellowship just because, you know, uh, uh, I mean, you like the White Sox or something, you know? I mean, if you do, whatever, I mean, you know? And, I, and to me, I really don't care. You know, I was trying to think of something I care about. I don't really care about anything, you know. Sometimes I give people, you know, a hard time. You know, what kind of phone you got? I got an Android. Well, you know, we'll pray for you, right? Uh, I mean, I don't care, right? What kind of computer you got? You got a PC? Oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll pray for you, right? Uh, you don't have a Mac? No. Uh, well, you know, well, okay, whatever. Uh, but, you know, I don't care. I, I mean, I, I just don't care. There's very little I care about, you know. If you do things that are different than me, I just could care less. I just, I don't care, right? Uh, you drive whatever you drive. I don't care. You know, you eat whatever. I don't care, right? I just, there, there's so very few things in this life that matter to me in the natural world. It just don't matter, right? Spiritual things matter, but natural things just so low in the totem pole, right? But see, he elevated drinking wine to be more important than the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God told him to come here, but you know, the Spirit of God didn't say, come here, make sure that he'll drink wine. I can guarantee the Spirit of God didn't add that to the, the, the discussion, right? So uh, he, said, uh, he said that... Um, their God is their belly. So uh, their appetites, right, what they desire. And that, and that can cover anything, right? Anything in the natural realm, uh, you know, that you desire to do is part of your appetites. And it doesn't mean they're all wrong, right? Uh, just natural appetites are fine, right? Uh, appetites to be with your spouse is fine, right? Physically and emotionally is fine. Right? But you can take that where, well, you know, I'm, I can't be a, a one-woman man, you know. God never designed us to be a one-woman man, you know, even though he literally said that. Uh, uh, and so, you know, I can't, I, I have needs. And people will make all kinds of excuses, you know. I have needs. And they will, they will use the excuse of their appetite to violate the plan and will of God. Uh, and so uh, he said that, that it, when you do that, when you elevate your appetites above the plan and will of God, now that is your God, right? Anything that you put above God that, that you will not constrain uh, in relation to the word of God God. And so, uh, and there's lots of scriptures, you know, we won't go into everything, but uh, we're in Philippians, let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll just look at a, just a couple of scriptures in relation to this, because this is, this is an issue in the church. Clearly, Paul said it was here with the Philippians, and we'll see what he says about uh, here, but in some other verses. He said, this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says in verse 12, he says, unless when I come again, so remember he uh, was at Corinth. He wrote him one letter. It's actually there, there appears to be, have been three letters written to the Corinthian church. Um, we don't know if there's a missing letter or maybe two were combined into one of these two books here. Um, but uh, he said, "Unless when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and that I shall bewail many which have sinned already and had not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed." And so again, this kind of goes back uh, to. Uh, not only that man in First Corinthians chapter 5, but there were other things going on in his church. Of course, the Corinth church, if you, if you read the history about the church at Corinth, it, it was a very uh, licentious church, a very carnal church, right? Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that when we get to the last part of this verse 19. Uh, but uh, the, Corinth, the, the city of Corinth was a very carnal, very sinful city, right? Almost up to the level of Sodom and Gomorrah, that type of city. And a lot of that sin got into the church. Uh, and so you have to be careful because there's such a drive to bring sin into the church so that we can be like the world so we don't 
cause the world to be uncomfortable. You know, uh, there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong with, with the glory of God making your flesh uncomfortable because it should, you should be able to see, well, my spirit's comfortable, but my flesh is uncomfortable, so I need to do something about that and fix my flesh, right? Instead of running my spirit away. Uh, but the church doesn't always understand that. But he said that, the, that they have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness uh, which they have committed. In other words, lasciviousness uh, means without constraint. Uh, and and he, so who, who's he talking to about this? He's talking to the church that they, they have uncleanness, they have, un, they have fornication, and they have a lack of constraint, uh, which they have committed, right? So he's talking to the church. You have committed these things. Uh, and, of course, in the context of Philippians uh, 3.19, the, the, he's talking about their God is their belly or their desires. Uh, there's such a drive to remove all constraint, right? The, the, the world hates the church because we are the constraint to the flesh, right? We, we, well, we don't do that. Well, then you're not free. My spirit is completely free. But my, my flesh is under the authority of my spirit. And I just, like an unruly child, I do not allow my flesh to rule and reign in my life. My spirit, fully free to do everything and everything the Lord wants it to do, right? Uh, and so the only constraint I have is my spirit constrains my flesh. Uh, but see, the world wants to remove all constraints of flesh. And their thoughts are, in fact, I've even heard ministers say that, you know, if, if, I, if I feel like doing something, I, I ought to be able to do that. But they were really muddy with that statement because when they said, if I want to do something, well, were they talking about their spirit wants to do something or were they talking about their flesh wants to do something? In the context of what they were saying, they were clearly talking about their, their flesh. Uh, but, you know, you have, you have uh, uh, always the desire of your spirit and always the desire of your flesh. And in the middle is your will. Your will gets to pick. I'm going to pick this one today. I'm going to pick that one today. And if you're smart, your will will always line up with your spirit, man. But that's not always the case in our society or in a, even in the church. Uh, uh, but... There's a desire to have no constraint on our flesh, to eat whatever we want to, to sleep with whatever we want to, to, you know, to do, just go anywhere we want to, say anything we want to, no constraint. Uh, and, and so Paul said, when you do that, that's your God, right? When, you, when the Lord says, hey, because, uh, you know, when you get saved, you don't know everything. And so as you, as you progress in your walk with the Lord, there may be things the Lord says, hey, that right there, that desire, that, that, you, that fleshly desire is too strong. So maybe, you know, maybe you're a meat eater, you like to eat meat, fine, right? But if all you do is, is, is consume mass quantities of meat uh, and you never eat a, anything green, it seems like that's out of balance, right? And the Lord may say, hey, you know, you're out of balance with that thing over there. You need to eat, you know, at least a green pea every now and then, you know, maybe two, you know, on a, on a big day, right? Uh, why? Because he's wanting to make sure that there's nothing that's your God other than him. Because he's a jealous God, right? Uh, and so anytime you want to remove constraints in your flesh, you're really taking that flesh and you're elevating that. So now your God is your belly, right? Your God is whatever desires you have. Uh, and uh, that's, that's a normal, uh, active part of our walk with the Lord. All the days of our life, that constraint and that conflict is always going to be there. Amen. In fact, uh, we're, we're at the end of Second uh, Corinthians. Turn over to Galatians chapter 5 there. And we'll see what Paul said here. He said here um, in um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, he says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And I think that that verse right there 
is one of the greatest verses in the New Testament. It tells us where we should spend our effort in, uh, in our lives. We should then, he said, because if you walk in the Spirit, if you do this, you will not do that. And most of the church is saying, just don't do that. They never get around to what you should do. They just say, don't do that. And so if, if, it, if all of the church is focused on what you shouldn't do, then all of our focus is on sin. Well, is that where our focus should be on is sin all the time? Hey, here's a list of things you can do. You can't do this. You know, all these things, you can't do these things. So we're thinking, okay, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. But we still haven't learned a, a drop about how to walk in the Spirit. And Paul said, if you, if you walk in the Spirit, you'll never fulfill the lust of the flesh. So it seems to me that the priority of the church ought to be, here's how to walk in the Spirit. Here's how to sense the Spirit of God. Here's how to know when the Spirit of God is speaking. Here's how to uh, yield to the unction of the Spirit of God. Here's how to walk in the Spirit. Then the things of, the, of your flesh become so unimportant. It's just not even, become so unimportant. It's just not even an issue. And that's what Paul said. It becomes a non-issue if you walk 100% in the flesh or 100% in the Spirit. The desires and the, the, uh, uh, the, the well, the, what he said back in Philippians 3.19 about the goddess of belly, uh, your desires there are not your God. Uh, and, so, and, the, and, and so we don't even have to really focus on those things. It's helpful sometimes to remind people, hey, that's a sin, that's going to cause you problems. But the, the, uh, our, our, our priority should be learning on how to walk in the Spirit. Because he tells us in verse 17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So uh, he's saying that there's a war, right? There's, there's a war between the flesh and the spirit. And notice he doesn't talk about the soul in this, in this conversation, right? Because the, the war uh, is the desires of the flesh over here. And there's a war between the desires of the spirit over here. Uh, and he said they're contrary one to the other. So no matter what, what your spirit wants to do, your flesh just wants to do the opposite. You need to go pray. I want to rest. You know, I'm, I'm going you know, to go to church. No, I want you to, to stay in bed. You know, I'm gonna do that. It's just whatever the spirit wants to do, the flesh, flesh wants to be contrary to that. Uh, you ever been around somebody that no matter what you want to do, that's their opposite world? And I've worked with people like that. No matter what you do, they're just, you know, they, they, they think so opposite from you. Like, how can you not see that you're opposite world, right? Uh, and so, uh, but Paul said that, that there's a struggle there. And how long would the struggle last? All the days of your life, right? Are you breathing air? That struggle is there, amen? You're never going to get to a point where that flesh goes, you know, I'm just going to go follow the Spirit from now on. You just, it, it, that sin nature that's in your flesh, it's never going to be renewed. It's going to stay there. You just have to learn what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. I keep under my body, under the authority of my spirit. I keep it under there. Um, and if you keep it there, see, then, then your God is not your belly. Your God is actually your God. Uh, and that's really what Paul wants us to get to, where, uh, where we have no other gods other, other than the Lord. Uh, but, you know, people have all kinds of gods other than the Lord all the time. You know, if, if you think about what somebody has done to you uh, and the action they've committed against you uh, and the words they've said against you, and all you do is think about that and think about that, think about that, you've elevated them above the Lord. Uh, and a lot of times people will, well, I can't forgive them. So then they are above the Lord in your life, right? And so now they're your God, right? And, and people, um, I know uh, Brother Hagin was talking, talking about his, uh, uh, his uh, it was his brother-in-law, and his sister had like five kids, and uh, his brother-in-law was just one of these 
philanderer types, you know, just sleep with everything that moved and, uh, and finally left his sister and, and Lord spoke to him one time and said, you go find him and you go talk to him, you know, to go back to, to, uh, to his wife, which was his sister, which was Brother Hagin's sister. And so he found him uh, and, and um, he said, you know, you need to, for the, if nothing else, for the sake of the kids, go back to, you know, he goes, I, I know I should. I just, he said, I'm just not going to do it. He said, Brother Hagin, you know, encouraged him, just don't sleep around with, with everything. And, you know, be a man and, and take, a, take responsibility for your children. You've got five children. They need a dad. He said, I know it. And he said, you know, he said that his brother-in-law was just in tears. I know it. He said, I'm just not doing it. I'm just not going to do it. Uh, and and um, he said uh, he, he, did, he, he did as much as he could. He never could get his brother-in-law to go back to, uh, to uh, his sister uh, and uh, raise those five children. And he said, as far as he knows, he died unsaved and died, you know, cursing God. Uh, uh, and so some people, they just, they just won't do it. You know, they know that they can see that they should change. They just don't want to change. You know, they, they can't, for whatever reason, they have elevated that thing to be a God, right? So him sleeping around with other women was his God. He liked it. He didn't want to change it. And that's what that's the way he was going to live, and and so it's unfortunate that he did that. But uh, uh, but for all of us, you know, we may say, well, you know, my appetites aren't my God. Well, let me ask you this: Is there anything that the Lord has instructed you to do that you just I'm not doing that, Lord? You know, whatever that thing is, right? Uh, uh, and so you have to decide: Is there anything that you've elevated above? The Lord that you've said, Lord, I'm not going to do that. Well, then that thing uh, becomes your God, right? Now you serve that thing. It's like that fellow that came in here that he can't come to this church uh, because I won't drink wine with him. Well, then that's his God, right? Even though the Spirit of God told him to come here, but but his his God of his whatever wine he he was drinking consuming told him don't come here. The Spirit of God told him to come here, but uh, you know the bottle of uh, I was going to say some, some type of wine, but I don't know any types of wine. So I'm not going to ask you either, because if you know, then you're, now you're all guilty, right? You, I, you, can't, you shouldn't know anything about wine. I don't care, whatever, none of my business, right? Uh, but that was his God, right? That he couldn't yield to the Spirit of God. He had to yield to the God of, of whatever red wine or white wine that he was, he was consuming there. So uh, and, and if you come, we won't go through all of them there, but if you go down to um, uh, verse 19 of the same chapter there, it says, now the works of the flesh are manifest or plain, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, is that same lasciviousness again, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, additions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, and uh, I'm going to stop there because um, this phrase here about not inherited the kingdom of God is, is often what people use to say that if you commit these sins, you have lost your salvation. And, and I want to spend a little time on that. We're, we're out of time today, but I want to spend a little time on, on that phrase because um, in essence, uh, it is true that you, that you don't inherit the kingdom, the kingdom of God. So he's talking about your inheritance. So the point that I want to make is when you get saved, you get the inherit a benefit of getting saved is you get the inheritance of the kingdom of God, whatever that includes, uh, includes healing and health, prosperity, soundness of mind, peace, and all of all of those things. That's the inheritance you get, protection from God. But that's not your salvation. That's not your that's not that's not your ticket to heaven, right? That's just the things that God provides to you, right? Just like when you, if you're part of a family and somebody 
uh, you know, even as, a, as an adopted child, once you become an adopted child, then legally you're required to be in the will. Uh, and so that, that inheritance you get only came about because you became part of that family. It, before, before that, when you were still an orphan or be, when you were still uh, a child out in um, uh, foster care or whatever, you had no inheritance. So the inheritance didn't come until after you became uh, a, a member of that family. So it wasn't, it, 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 the, inheritance is, the inheritance is not what made you part of that family, it's just the benefit of you becoming part of the family. Uh, and so the inheritance that we get from heaven is the benefit of us becoming a member of, of the heaven's family, but it's not what, what made us part of the heaven's family. Does that make sense? Uh, it's the benefit, right? Uh, and so, and we know when, when, you, when you sin, that the Lord is unable to bless you. He's not punishing you. He's unable to bless you. So your inheritance is constrained. Uh, and so, yeah, you, you may not get that inheritance that otherwise would belong to you, but that doesn't mean you lose your salvation. It just means you lose access to the things that, that provided for you as a benefit of, of being a child of God. Uh, and, so, uh, and so we've got a couple other scriptures. We'll look at that in, in relation to that. Because uh, we need to understand that there are ramifications to sin, right? There is, there is a, a uh, uh, I was going to say penalty, but you know, that's not, maybe the, not the exact word. But, but there is a, uh, what's that? There's consequence. Yeah, that's the word, good word there. There's consequence to sin, right? Uh, and it's not punished from God. It's restraint from God that he's unable to bless you. Uh, and, uh, and so, and of course, if you go like, you know, you can't all go all the way up to the sin of the death, of course. Uh, but even that, you know, he, he said it's, uh, even in 1 Corinthians 5, 5, it was going to hand you over to Satan, not hand you over to God for the destruction of your flesh, hand you over to Satan. So uh, there, is, there is a consequence to sin, surely, right? But uh, for the vast majority of Christians, it's, it's, it's just a, a lack of, of access to your inheritance. But you're still on your way to heaven. Uh, now, is that a good way to live? You want to live with no access to health, no access to healing, no access to prosperity, no access to the peace of God, no access to, to the counsel of God, no access to, to, to the soundness of mind of God, no access to, to, the, to, to the deliverance of God. Those are all parts of your inheritance. You'd still go to heaven without access to any of those things uh, if you're born again, because again, it goes back to what, what have you done in relation to Jesus? Uh, and, and so, um, yeah, there is a consequence of sin. There's ramifications to, to you committing an infraction against the plan and will of God. Uh, and you know, some people, are they okay with that? You know, well, can I get to heaven? I'm not your judge, right? Uh, I, I can't tell you, well, if I live this way, do I get to go to heaven? I, I'm not going to roll that dice, and I'm not your God, right? Because uh, I can't see inside your heart. I can't look in there and say, well, you've truly accepted the Lord Jesus. Uh, if you tell me you have, then, then I have to go with that testimony, then, then, then you're on your way to heaven. Uh, but if you're looking for a loophole to live however you want to, I might want to check whether you've ever made that commitment to begin with, amen? Uh, and so anybody uh, looking for a license to sin? Uh, surely not, right? I don't think anybody is. Uh, and so um, we just don't want to lose out on the inheritance because he said, they that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, and so, um, so we'll, we'll look at a couple more things in relation to that because we need to find that balance there that, yeah, you can't just live however you want to, but at the same time, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be motivated by fear to follow God. You should be motivated by love because he said, uh, if you love me, keep my commandments. He didn't say, if you fear me striking you dead, then, then keep my commandments. But that's been the motivation of the church for the most part is I'm going to put you in fear, 
That way you can live right. Well, that's a terrible way to live in fear. Amen. You ever seen children who live in fear of their parents? Right? Every time their parents do this right here, they, they cower, right? Because they, they know they're going to get smacked, you know. And, uh, you know, when I was growing up, I got smacked in the face so many times, right? And, and I just decided I will never hit my children like that because it's just degrading. It's just so, so terrible of a thing to do, you know. It's not that I didn't, I did spank them on occasion, but, you know, my dad would hit me over the head with a, with a rake handle. I'm never doing that to my kids. You know, I'm not going to strike them in anger. Amen. And uh, all the Lord did rebuke me one time for doing that. Uh, and so that's another whole discussion right there. So, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't, I don't, my goal is not get you into fear to follow God. My goal is to show you how much God loves you so that you'll love him to follow him with that motivation. And that's much better motivation than beating you upside the head, right? It's like the company said that beatings will continue until morale improves, right? Uh, well, that's the way a lot of the church does, right? We're going to beat you until you're happy. Uh, that, has that ever worked? I mean, the, the grumpiest, uh, saddest group of people you've ever seen is a group of people in a church, right? Like, we ought to be the happiest people in the world, but, but oftentimes we're just mad, bitter, and we're mad and bitter because I want to do that. I just can't, you know? Uh, and so instead of just, well, I don't want to do that because I love the Lord. That's a much better attitude to have, amen? Uh, and so we'll look at a couple more things here, and hopefully people, this heresy, well, you know, let's see what the Word says, amen? I'd much rather go by the Word says, because this whole area... This discussion, it, it's just, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of confusion in this area, a lot of uh, strong emotions in this area, but I'd rather just see what the Word says and see if it lines up with everything, everything else the Word says and go with that, amen? So let's thank the Lord for His Word today. So Father, we thank You for the Word of God. And Father, we thank You for the plan of heaven. Father, You instructed us that if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So Father, we will pursue Your Spirit. We will be sensitive to Your Spirit. We will hear from Your Spirit, Father. And as your spirit speaks and leads and directs, Father, we will yield and go and do, Father. And so we thank you for things, Lord, for these things, Father. We give you the praise and the honor for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Hopefully we haven't made uh, too many people mad today, right? And so uh, I don't think any of you all mad, but uh, uh, this is not always the most popular message uh, in the leadership of the church. Now, the people of the church love these messages, right? Because it, it puts them at ease and puts them that there's some hope that even if they fail, God's not going to shoot them and, and, and bury them in the backyard. And, uh, and so we'll come ahead, Mr. Jared, we'll receive uh, these, this evening's offering. Uh, and so um, this is Jared's birthday, so everybody needs to give double today, right, uh, for the offering. And so um, So uh, let's see, uh, Wade, uh, uh, grandson Wade, turned 11 months uh, on the 9th, right? So three days ago, he turned uh, 10 months, 11 months old. So he'll be a year old next month, right? So um, he's moving right along, he's sleeping good. So he's doing good, amen. Well, Chris will be back uh, in Dayton tomorrow. And um, uh, oh, Ladies Fellowship is, th- is Friday night, right? 6.30 here at the church? All right, well... You guys have a good time. Uh, You're dismissed. We'll see you on Sunday.